welcome to the RCAP USA Roundup podcast, a podcast focused on having real, open, honest conversations about the American cattle industry. I'm your host, Jaden Moreland, and on today's show, you've no doubt heard that according to the global elites, apparently the people who put food on our tables are at fault for climate change. We all know that's not true, but it seems like there's a bigger picture here. The global war on farming and our ability to feed the world is real. The global concentration of power pushing these control narratives have amassed and they must be addressed. Tune in as Dutch farmers advocate and internationally renowned political commentator Eva Vlardingerbroek covers just that. This episode is sponsored by AgWest Feeds. In 1970, Vince Holinsky started AgWest Feeds after losing 30% of his calves to scours one spring. Vince started to study nutrition and went to doing his own nutritional work using his own formulations. Working with ranchers, he has been able to develop top quality mineral programs to fit the cow's nutritional needs. His goal is solving sickness problems by not using drugs, but by developing the cow's own nutritionally healthy immune system, increasing gains at the same time. Over 50 years later, AgWest Feeds remains an independent company owned and operated by the Helensky family. Thank you AgWest for your support of RCAP USA and for your support of our 2023 convention. This episode recording was pulled from Ava's presentation at our 2023 convention in August. For a video presentation, a YouTube link is available in our show notes. Before playing Ava's presentation for you, I want to give her a brief introduction. As we said in the intro, Ava is a Dutch farmer's advocate and an internationally renowned political commentator from Amsterdam, Netherlands. She has been regularly featured on media outlets across the world and has made it her mission to be a voice for freedom and justice in the Western world. She has been specifically involved in the fight for the Dutch farmers. Along with many others, she helped incite change in her home country after years of farmer demonstrations against the environmentalist policy directly attacking Dutch farming operations. These actions were heard around the world as thousands of Dutch farmers drove tractors to the nation's capital in protest. Gaining an international following, Ava has brought attention to the fight against globalism far past the borders of her country and throughout America, Europe, and in other strong agricultural producing countries. She understands that these radical environmental policies in the Netherlands are just the start of a globalized effort to control the food supply and those who produce it in the name of saving the planet. So with that, I bring you Ava Vlardingerbroek. I, uh, I just wanted to start off quickly by saying a big thank you to everybody who's made it possible for me to be here today and specifically to your wonderful CEO, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's honestly, it's an honor to be surrounded by so many hardworking Americans who provide us with our daily meals. Um, God bless you for that. Now, for those of you who don't know me, and I can imagine that there are probably a few of you here, uh, allow me to shortly introduce myself. So I'm Eva, I'm a political commentator from the Netherlands. I've done a, a bit of work here in America with Tucker Carlson, uh, Jordan Peterson, some other media outlets that were just mentioned. Um, and I've been very active in the fight of the Dutch farmers against our, what I would call, tyrannical government. And well, for those of you who also don't know my country, the Netherlands, we are a very tiny, and when I say tiny, I mean tiny country in Western Europe. Um, for reference, the, the state of South Dakota, where we are right now, is five times as large as we are, our, our entire country. So, yeah, we're small. Um, in size, we're small, but we're big at one thing, and that's farming. So, we, farming for us is not just the backbone of our economy, it's actually the backbone of our nation's cultural identity, our history, was this, was, this the first, was this the Dutch government committing a terror attack on me right now? Is, is that happening? Is that happen I don't see anything, so you'll have to tell me. You'll have to tell me. So, like I said, farming is, we breathe and live farming. The foundations for modern agriculture were laid in the Netherlands as early as the 1500s. So, really, you know, it, it is in our blood. And many families who still own farms today have had those farms for centuries on end. And we're good at it. Um, actually, because of our rich history, we are now some of the most lucrative 
technologically advanced and productive farmers in the world. In fact, even though, like I said, we're a very tiny country, we are the second largest exporter of agricultural products right after you guys. And in the European Union, we are in fact the largest exporter of beef. So that is quite something. It is not an overstatement to say that we, the Netherlands and America together feeds the world. Yes, I, that's worth your applause, absolutely, absolutely. But I have to add something to that sentence. We are feeding the world for now. Because the sad part here, ladies and gentlemen, is that the most powerful people in the world want us to stop. So let me tell you a real-life cautionary tale. Um, let me tell you about what has been happening to the Dutch farmers and what exactly has prompted them to go out and protest in a very un-Dutch fashion. This all has been going on for years now, but let me start in 2019. So a environmentalist activist group really sued the Dutch government over them failing to protect what they call natural preserves in, in the Netherlands. And I'll tell you, I am a patriot at heart, but we're not exactly known for our impressive nature. We, uh, we're an incredibly urbanized country and more than half of our land is used for agriculture. We, we're below sea level, you know, we don't have fast mountains, we don't have beautiful forest. So it's, it's kind of a weird thing that this activist organization sued the government to protect, you know, nature in our country. But they did, and sadly, they won. So in 2019, the courts ruled that the Netherlands was actively in a nitrogen crisis. And that ruling has been the basis for our government to crack down on our farmers' rights and even move towards expropriation of their land. So, not the big industries, not, you know, airlines, not the major corporations, no. Cow farts and burps are what cause climate change, according to my government and the European Union. And after that ruling in 2019, things have escalated really, really quickly. Last year, and you might have seen this in American media because actually it's been covered more here in your country than it has for us at home, the Dutch government announced that 30% of all livestock had to be cut by 2030 in order to meet the climate goals. And then they, they said, well, you know, 30% of all the livestock, and what that means right now is that, well, 3,000 farms are going to either have to voluntarily sell their land to the state, because you can't sell it to anybody else, just to them, or they will have to be expropriated in the years to come. So, expropriation, there's that term. Um, it, it, it is what it is. It, it literally means that the state will take away your private property. So, property rights don't mean anything to us anymore. And what I think is really important for me to convey here, ladies and gentlemen, is that I, I of course, I could get into the nitty gritty details with you about what this nitrogen crisis entails, but that would be a mistake. You know, that's what they want. They want us to debate within the parameters that they have laid out for us that have not been put in place in good faith but are all you know, aimed at getting this land. The nitrogen crisis does not exist. Our government does not give a rat's ass, excuse my French, but that's what I mean, about Dutch nature. It doesn't exist. It's a pretext, it's a lie. The nitrogen crisis is a manufactured crisis created by bureaucrats in The Hague and in Brussels. And so let me repeat that. We are not dealing with people who handle or act in good faith. Nobody who's handling or acting in good faith would crack down on one of the most lucrative, hardworking, historically important sectors of our nation. Especially not when that sector puts food on our table 
and has been doing so for centuries on end, especially right now in a time of food shortages. So then the only question that we're left with is why, well, why would they do this then? You know, why would they do this if it's so important, if it, if it gives us so much money and uh, financial benefit? Well, the answer is simple if you see it. The attack on farming in the Netherlands is part of a bigger global agenda that is centered around control. The Netherlands, our country, is just a tester case. You know, we are the pilot country. The reality of the matter is that in the Netherlands, I'll tell you a little bit of, you know, more about my country. As I said, it is very small. Uh, there are multiple reasons as to why our government really desperately needs and wants the land from our farmers. Because that's what it is. It's a land grab. It's a land grab being committed under the guise of, you know, we're trying to save the planet here. In fact, it's the typical, I would say, the typical globalist strategy. They create a crisis. Boy, have we seen that in the past few years, you know, what that looks like. They create a crisis and then they say, well, and the answer to this crisis, the solution to this crisis is you giving up your rights. Not us, but you. And that's exactly what is happening here with the Dutch farmers. So what's behind all of this? Well, in the Dutch case, we are a small country, but we have 18 million people. I know that here in South Dakota, I think you're nearing maybe a million. We have 18 million people and we're five times less large than you guys are in terms of size. So we're jam packed, we're bursting at the seams. And we're not exactly bursting at the seams because Dutch people are having a ton of babies. We are bursting at the seams because our borders are wide open and our elites are actively importing hundreds of thousands of migrants a year from Africa, the Middle East, um, and other parts of the world. And those people need to live somewhere. But with the current crisis, you know, there is basically, the current housing crisis, there is basically no place for them. So our government needs to find a solution as to why they are, or how they are going to house these people. And the solution is one that they have found in stealing other people's land. So that, that is exactly what they are doing now with the farmers, and they've actually admitted to this in their own uh, documents, even though when you call it out, they say that it's all a conspiracy theory, of course. So they're stealing our farmers' land for the housing of migrants, but there is a second and I would say more important reason behind why they want to get rid of our farmers. And that is one that is bit, a bit more global and is important for you to understand too. So remember how I said earlier in this speech that um, the farmers need to give up their, their farms before 2030, specifically that year? Yeah, so that's not a coincidence. That year doesn't come out of nowhere. So that year is basically the deadline that our global elites have given our country and will probably give you um, to abide by these new regulations. And that agenda is called the 2030 Agenda. And now I have a slide showing you what that entails. So the 2030 agenda is a United Nations agenda. So there we go, everybody is part of the United Nations, right? The entire world. And this agenda consists of 17 what they call sustainable development goals. And when you take a look at them right there, you're like, well, what's wrong with that? You know, they all seem very noble. No poverty, no hunger. Who could be against that? However, if we take a closer look at how they actually want to accomplish all of this, anybody with two functioning brain cells realizes that this cannot happen unless there is an active and maybe even forceful redistribution of goods, foods, property, and our rights, which basically comes down to the obliteration of all of our basic liberties uh, and our rights. And of course, they try to sell it to us under the guise of equality because, well, you know, what is nicer than equality if we want everybody to have something, right? Reeks like communism, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, you'd be, you'd be right to think that because actually that is what it is. This time around, they just sell it a little bit nicer to you. So what is important to know is just like with 
communism in the old days, you know, it's never really truly about equality. It just means that the super rich get richer, and we're talking about a very small group of people here, and that the rest of us become equally poor and miserable. That's what this means. And these goals, as I said, are not restricted solely to the Netherlands. They are global. And that's where we see their true motive. The people behind this want to establish a one world government, a new world order in which they decide what we eat, when we eat, where we travel, when we travel, who we meet, and what we are allowed to spend our money on. Basically, control over every single aspect of our lives. And I'm sure that many of you have heard the, the famous sentence from Klaus Schwab, you know, where he says, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, right? Yeah, that's this agenda. And what is important for us to know is that the first part of that sentence, you'll own nothing, is the truth, but the second part of that sentence, you'll be happy, is a lie. So why are the people behind this agenda specifically targeting farmers? Well, it's because obviously they really want our way of life and the things that we eat to radically change. And they can't do that without getting rid of all of you guys. Because you guys are some of the most independent, hardworking, and most importantly, God-fearing people on the face of the earth. And on top of that, you also produce food that makes the rest of us strong. Animal products, meat, eggs, milk, you know, that is what makes us strong. We always joke about the Netherlands and how the Dutch people, I didn't get that gene sadly, but how we are the tallest people in the world. And the old wives still has been, well, that's because we drink a lot of meat. And that story has been discredited over the years, but actually now I'm like, that's probably just exactly the reason as to why we're that tall. And that is exactly what they want to change. You know, they don't want us to eat foods that make us strong. They want us to eat synthetic meat created by Bill Gates. They want us to eat bugs. They want us to drink soy milk so that we become weak and obedient. And we do as they say, and we buy what they offer. So that brings me back to the, the title that I gave this, this presentation, control the food and you control the people. That is something that the communists, by the way, knew all too well. You know, it was the first thing Stalin did when he came to power. It was go after the farmers. And the globalists, globalists of today have copy-pasted that strategy, but again, they use prettier words to hide their true motives. And now I can imagine that there are some people in this room right now that might be thinking, well, yeah, this is happening in the Netherlands. That may be true for you guys, but there ain't no way that that's going to happen here. And well, ladies and gentlemen, I really want to impress this on you. It might not, but it is up to you to hold the line. Because this agenda is 100% a global one. This will not be limited to us. It is just a matter of time until they start doing the exact same things to, to you that they've been doing to us. The globalists have time, they have money, they have power. And if there is one thing that I would like you to know, and something that the Dutch farmers know all too well, is that this is not a short-term thing. They are waging a war of attrition against us, against you. They'll start hitting you with new rules and regulations in the way that they've been doing to our farmers for years that will drive you absolutely insane. They will hit you with expensive legal procedures if you do not comply and then suddenly you're forced to go to court and spend all this money on it. They'll mobilize the media to vilify you and they'll hire experts that will say that you guys are the driver, drivers of climate change and that we will all die because of you. And the sad part is, is that a lot of the people who are continuously being brainwashed, will believe it. And I know that some of this is already happening here uh, in the US. I, I know that Bill Gates is trying to buy up your farmland. I have heard about what has happened here in South Dakota with these obscure funded uh, organizations like Summit Carbon Solutions. 
um, that are trying to just crack down on your property rights. It's, it's all the same stuff. And I also know that the Biden administration is not exactly your friend. And I'm sure that you have heard the words of John Kerry multiple times already during this com conference, but I think it's important that we hear it from the horse's mouth one more time. About 33% of all the emissions of the world, uh, depending a little bit on how you count it, but it's anywhere from 26 to 33. And we can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture is front and center as part of the solution. Emissions from the food system alone are projected to cause another half a degree of warming by mid-century on the current course that we are today. So we have to reduce emissions from the food system to keep the 1.5 degrees alive. Well, it's simple math, right? The man says it out loud. He says, without agriculture cooperating, basically, so giving up everything that you've ever worked for in your life, we can't get to net zero. So the bottom line is net zero and the American beef industry cannot go in coexist. It, it, it is that simple. So please, learn from the mistakes that the Dutch farmers have made in their fight against our government. Do not allow yourselves, and if I see you guys, I'm not too worried that you will, but do not allow yourselves to become divided amongst each other. You really need to stand united in the fight against the big dragon that we are going to have to say. Fight, or else you'll end up in the shoes of this Dutch farmer. Op, uh, ik heb het van mijn, van mijn vader en mijn moeder overgenomen. Ja, ik hoop, uh, hoop harte dat ik hier mijn oude dagen nog maar slijt en dat de kinderen doorgaan. Heb je daar vertrouwen in? Nee. Nee. So for those of you in the back who couldn't hear or couldn't read the subtitles, this man was asked a couple months ago if he felt that he could, he had a, a real chance of passing on his farm that has been passed on to him by the generations before him to his own children. And well, I don't need to translate his response. So the question that all farmers all around the world have to ask themselves, the question that you have to ask yourself is whether or not you will hold the line. Because if you don't, you will, you will create a future in which your descendants, your children will be eating crickets. They will be eating bugs. And that is the least of our problem, honestly, when this whole agenda is rolled out. And let me tell you one thing. I have so much hope for you guys here in America. I have more hope for you guys here than I do for any other group uh, of farmers or ranchers anywhere around the world. You guys can do it. I know that you guys can hold the line. There is a deep love for liberty, for your land, and for God that runs through your veins, and I have seen it today. And your founding fathers have given you the means to protect it. And that is not something that we, as Dutch men and women, can say. In Holland, we don't have a Second Amendment, and I would even run criminal charges potentially if I would argue for them too explicitly actually for that second amendment. And even though our Dutch farmers have put up a incredibly brave fight and I'm sure that they will continue to do so, they have allowed themselves to become divided for too long. They've gone along with the government for too long thinking that being reasonable, you know, compromising would get them somewhere. A lot of them regret that now because it hasn't led them uh, down a path of, of any actual compromise. It has just led them down a path of self-destruction. And what we have, a reality that we have faced very painfully over the last couple of years during our protests is that we, because we do not have a second amendment, stand pretty much defenseless in the face of our government the moment that they point a gun at us. And uh, I'm not exaggerating when that's, I say that that has happened. 
In fact, it has happened multiple times, and uh, we've actually also had a story where a 16-year-old farmer's son was driving a tractor away from a protest, which was completely uh, peaceful, by the way, actually peaceful, not the way that the American media talks about peaceful protests. <laughs> you know, it was actually peaceful. And, um, and he drove away from the pro protest, and he was shot at and nearly got killed by two centimeters. I don't know what that is in inches, but it's very close, I can tell you. Um, and this is a 16-year-old kid, you know, you don't expect those types of things to happen in a liberal democracy, which we supposedly live in, uh, but it did. And so to end this message, I have one last clip, and I'm afraid it is again in Dutch, but it is a message from the Dutch farmers. Uh, I have subtitles, I'll try to translate it if you guys can see it. And I think that that message really breathes the type of attitude that I would recommend you guys all have in the face of the fight that you have coming at you, which will probably last for a while. So let us take a, one last look at one last clip before I end this, this uh, talk. Hadden we het al over boeren gehad? Dacht ik toch wel of niet? Wie nou nog boer is in de 21ste eeuw in Nederland, die heeft lef. Dat is een keel met een kop en met kloten. Hij wordt van alle kanten bedreigd. Maar toch zegt de boer, hier, ik ben boer. Just to run down on that quickly, he said that anybody who is a farmer in the 21st century has got guts. And then he said, I am a farmer and I am proud of that. And that is what I want to end with today because I am not a farmer, but I sure as hell am proud of you. Thank you and God bless you all. Thank you. I think we might be taking some questions. I hope they're not going to be too technical because as I said, I'm not a farmer, but. <laughs> Here we have one. Uh, Frank Endress, I enjoyed your talk very much. Um, can you tell me what is the number one, two, and three crops that you raise in your country? So I believe in uh, the Dutch agricultural sector, tulips are also counted. So the, the, the sale of, of tulips and the, uh, the exportation of our tulips, I think are probably our number one. And then after that, I would have to look at my friend. Do you know by any chance what they are? Definitely vegetables, but I'm not sure if they are expo exported or not. Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably onions, and now I'm thinking of the word for play. We would have to look that up. We'll look it up, sir. Sorry to not be able to answer your question straight on. Hi. Uh, thanks for coming up. I'm Alan Lund, and I'm curious, what are the gun laws like in the Netherlands? Uh, well, the gun, laws, uh, the gun laws are you cannot have them. <laughs> so uh, you cannot own a gun. The only, the only loophole that there is somewhat is if you are a hunter, but like I said, we don't exactly have a lot of wild nature in which you can or are allowed to hunt. So basically, nobody owns guns. Nobody's allowed to own guns. Okay. <clears throat> Ava Gerald Schreiber, Colorado. Thank you for coming. What about the other, you know, we see from time to time that the French farmers take to the streets. Do you have, and we've heard about Ireland, but what about the Germans and the French? You can't stand alone on this issue. Farmers are farmers, ranchers are livestock people, wherever we have the same common problems. Right. Do you see help coming in Europe from any of your other countries? 
Yes, it was actually quite heartwarming during the last uh, big protest cycle in the summer. We saw that um, along the border with Germany and Belgium, farmers from both those both countries came to the border to support us. So that has definitely happened. What they do though in Europe, what is, and it's a very smart strategy, is like I said, we are the pilot country. So they are hitting us hardest first to see if they can succeed with us and then they will start hitting the other farmers in the same way probably. But for now, there are actually Dutch farmers who have said, okay, you know what, I'll, send, I'll sell to the state, I'll pick up my stuff, obviously it's not that simple, but basically I'll pick up my stuff, move maybe two miles across the German border and start over again because the rules don't yet apply to them in the same way that they do to us. Um, this was happening a little bit too frequently for the likings of our overlords. So now the European Union has actually decided that once a Dutch farmer voluntarily sells their land to the state, that they are not allowed to start farming anywhere else within the European Union, which is completely illegal, by the way, because the whole promise of the European Union was oh, freedom of movement, freedom of work, and now suddenly that's, that's down the drain. So it's, um, it's, a, it's definitely a good question and, and they have shown support, but the distances, although they're not as, as great as here in America, apparently seem big for people. And, and, and that's obviously something that our governments know. You know. You all know that our farmers have a business to run. They don't want to be out on the streets for hours or even weeks on end to protest because then they suffer the consequences. Their family suffers the consequences. And I know that that's what our establishment is banking on. Ava, thank you for coming. Taylor Haynes from Wyoming. I wanted to know what happened with the Dutch Farmers Party. I was very encouraged when I heard they, they had formed a party. Yes, so in March, uh, that was the, the last video I just showed you was right before we had our, our, one of our biggest protests. And that, that protest was a couple of days before we had regional elections in Holland. And our regional elections are not obviously as important as our general elections, but they were important in the sense that through those elections, our Senate um, is appointed. And well, when the Senate is against new nitrogen regulations, for example, they can potentially be blocked. And the Farmers Party, the BBB party, so the Farmer Citizens Movement, was the largest party by far, and the government lost its majority in the Senate. So we actually had electoral success. <laughs> and the promise of this party was and to a certain extent still is great. The one issue that I have with them, and I'm not quite sure if this is political strategy or not, it will remain to be seen, is that the woman who's in charge of the party has said, well, you know, we just need more time. Um, and to me, a, a long road to hell is still a road to hell. <laughs> you know, so I'm not okay with pushing the 2030 agenda to 2035. So unless this is her strategy and that once she becomes maybe potentially even the first female prime minister um, during our, our general elections in November, and if she then doubles down and is like, we're not doing this, then I'll be very happy. But I can't say that I'm completely uh, hopeful that she will. Ted Wishon, Washington State. In your view, we know the timeline when this all began, but when did the Dutch people feel this coming? We have rumbles here in the United States of America that, you know, we feel like we're, we're being regulated and oppressed and we're, we're struggling to hang on to our freedoms and our, you know, ability to do business as we see fit. But how long did the Dutch people feel this coming before they actually felt everything getting tightened down on them. Right, that's a really good question. Thank you for asking that. Um, so in terms of, for the farmers, they have seen it coming a lot, like way in advance to most you know, ordinary people. Um, it became especially apparent in 2019 when the nitrogen crisis was suddenly declared. 
and one of our largest parties, the, our Democratic Party actually, said, hey, we need to cut the livestock by 50%. And then the strategy, of course, of the government was to say, oh, we won't go that far, don't worry, we'll choose a sturdy instead. You know, so that was 2019 was a really important year for the farmers. I think for, in general, the Dutch population, the majority of them are not awake, still not. You know, they, they believe that there is a nitrogen crisis. They, they think that there can, things can be done to solve all of this and they buy into the general narrative. They just think that maybe the, the regulations and the expropriation goes a little bit too far, you know, but they don't really have a moral argument against why this shouldn't be happening or against this whole, this whole agenda. Uh, the people who have woken up, in my experience, were the same people who woke up during COVID. You know, they, they see the same patterns. They're like, this is a, this is go government overreach. And they understand that once the government is able to do this with our farmers, because again, our farmers are the, I would say the only group in Dutch society currently that can still make somewhat of an actual fist to the government, um, that once they do that, then you know, we're all next. And, and that's also one of the reasons why I feel so passionately about this, is because I understand that it, they might start with you, but they'll come for me the day after. So um, to, yeah, to answer your question, sadly, I don't think the majority of the, of the Dutch people are really truly awake to uh, what is happening. Ava? <coughs> Over here. Over uh, AJ Richards, uh, Richfield, Utah. You know, sometimes you get three producers in a room and the only thing two will agree on is how the third one doesn't know what the hell he's doing. <laughs> uh, truthfully, there are 327 million Americans in the United States. The estimation is there's only four to six percent that are vegan. But when you hear the news, it sounds like it's the majority of Americans. Mm. And that's just not true. Right. So I'm curious, you know, one of the things you said a couple of times is dividing the producers amongst themselves. Yes. What did you see in your country that, that that was a comment that you've made a couple of times? Because, you know, like I said, it's just not true. We are a meat-eating country, and it makes us healthy and strong. But when Amen. you have people like James Cameron and Leonardo DiCaprio making movies about veganism and that that's what's real and we just know it's not, right. it is important that we come together as producers and have each other's back. And we're, we're a humble people, so we typically turn the other cheek and just go about our business because if we were loud enough, that would just get drowned out. So I'm curious, in your country, what did that division look like that kind of led this, led, led it to be sort of a weak stance that, that they weren't united? Right, so for the farmers amongst each other, there are different unions within the agricultural sector, and some of them are known to be more militant and, and understand that the true agenda behind the Dutch government's plans is one of control and is an, an evil one. And then there are farmers who cannot fathom the idea and, and don't want to maybe because they're so good at heart themselves that the government actually is not their friend. And that's, that's something that truly is very different between my country and yours is we don't, we don't realize that the government truly is not our friend. We have a lot of trust in the government. It is going down for sure but you know, our constitution doesn't protect us in the way that yours does because apparently we didn't see a threat as big, but it is equally as big. Um, so the divide has really been between farmers who see through the agenda and who say, this is evil, we will never exit this, and the ones who think, oh, by compromise, we can get somewhere. And, and that is really something I hope you can take away from this. Is you will not get anywhere if you compromise. Do not negotiate with terrorists. Does that answer your question enough? <laughs> Good. Hi, uh, Stacy Weldon White from Texas. I do want to say one thing. I have three daughters. You're amazing. I would love for them to have the gumption and the guts that you do. Congratulations on that. Thank you, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. I'm sure they do, I'm sure they do. <laughs> so my question is uh, the nitrogen crisis. So what, in, what tools do you have to go out and say, it's not real? Like how can you go tell your people, this isn't real, it's fabricated? 
Right. Okay. So I said I wouldn't get into the nitty gritty details, but I'll try and do it a little bit. So I, I think because I think it's interesting and it's it's important for you to understand. So the nitrogen crisis in Holland is not about nitrogen-based fertilizer. You know, it's not that the soil is is being corrupted or anything like that. It's not that because that's not something that any rancher or any farmer would want, right? It's your soil. You want it to be good soil. So we have found a lot of solutions. Dutch farms have found plenty of solutions to keep their soil healthy and, and, and regenerated all the time. The nitrogen crisis is about nitrogen oxide depositions in and on these natural preserves that are designated by bureaucrats in Brussels. And the crisis is quite literally, I'm not kidding, yeah, nitrogen oxide depositions cause certain plants to grow in areas where we don't want them to grow. That's the crisis. That's the crisis. And they use all sorts of models, like ARIS, I don't know if you know that model, to calculate that. And even the people who, who um, created that model said this is not viable for, for calculating nitrogen em emissions or nitrogen deposition. So, but it's just something that our government quite frankly, does not care about. You know, they've been challenged on it multiple times. Alternative media is trying to challenge them on it. Farmers try to challenge them on it, try to go to court. But the, the, the courts say, well, this is European regulations. You know, it has supremacy because that's, in our case, is true. European regulations have supremacy over our national laws. And so they just all hide behind it. And everybody knows it's a farce, but it just continues to happen. Hello, Ava. My name is Dave Wright from Nebraska. Um, you know, from what I've watched on YouTube, um, Canadian farmers and Dutch farmers know how to drive tractors yeah. down the highway and block traffic, and they're pretty good at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you were talking about the nitrogen, but we're all livestock producers. My question is, what has the government done to suppress the livestock industry? Like, do they control your pharmaceuticals or something like that to, to, to suppress that? Well, the 30% the reduction that they, they want to happen is specifically targeted to livestock. So they're coming after cattle farmers. So I don't know if that is, that's enough of an answer to your question, but specifically meat production is what is being targeted. And just to come back, I just thought about this um, with regards to how they manipulate the masses into buying the lie of veganism, for example. Um, Meat advertisement is already banned in certain regions of my country. Legally banned because they say that meat production equals climate change and therefore just like with tobacco, for example, you cannot advertise it. So that's how they, they try to get the masses to go along with that. My name is Florence Thompson. I'm from South Dakota. And I'm wondering uh, how big of a role is faith in God playing in this movement, in this resistance movement? Okay, so this is, a, this is really uh, a very interesting question. Thank you for asking it. I think the reason why our government is targeting specifically the farmers is, I've mentioned too, but the fact that they are among the most God-fearing uh, devout Christians in my nation is definitely also one of the reasons because one of the main drivers I think behind the globalist agenda is to create perfect consumers people who as I say do what you say and buy what you offer um, somebody who's a devout Christian and who fears God more than they fear men will never become that you know it just it is not in the stars so the farmers are more so than the general population in the Netherlands still faithful people. Um, they don't speak about that all that much. They will say it sometimes in, in the sense that they have, they care for the creation, which I think is beautiful and is true. Um, but it is politically speaking, and I know this from personal experience. You no, know, I, I, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I will say it proudly anywhere I go. That does not score me uh, political points back at home. You know, uh, actually just saying that mere statement that I just made, which is uh, th the basic thing you need to even classify as a Christian, um, would has already landed me the label of a fundamentalist extremist, religious extremist, 
uh, Christian nationalists, all of these things. And, and so it's, it's really, and I love that about America, how much you incorporate God into your political discourse and especially just, of course, into your daily lives. But that is not something that helps um, us to get, sadly, to get the general population on our side. And I, I frankly don't care. You know, I'm like, okay, if that makes me lose 90% of my audience, then so be it, because I, what I care about more is that I go to heaven and I want you guys to go to heaven. Because, yeah. <laughs> uh, but to answer your question, it is very much in the, on, on the, in the background, sadly, of our political discourse. Hi, Eva, I'm Julie from South Dakota. And I was wondering two different questions, actually. How successful have they been since 2019 in actually um, depopulating the Dutch farmer or buying their lands? Or do you have any idea? A lot of people have um, quit voluntarily even before they said, hey, we're going to start you know, potentially expropriating you. I think we went down, we now count 50,000 farms still in the Netherlands. Um, but I know that with the 3,000 farms that need to be expropriated within the next couple of years, they haven't actually been as um, successful as they had hoped. Only a few hundreds farms have gone and said, yes, okay, we'll, we'll sell out. And it's interesting because our Minister of Agriculture has made a public statement about that, and she said that farmers are intimidating each other. Listen to how insane this is. Farmers are intimidating each other into not selling out, and that's a problem. You know, so the moment that farmers stand divided and say, let's not sell out, she says that they're intimidating each other and that that can't happen, and so then she starts to hold the expropriation carrot over her head again. But so they, ha they haven't been as successful, thank God, as I thought that they would be. I don't know, though, how successful they will be when the deadline starts coming closer and closer, because you know, especially with our, our general elections coming up in November, if we get a prime minister that is similar to the one that we've just had or worse, then the trajectory is very, very clear. And I think that we are somewhat at a breaking point now emotionally and financially for a lot of our farmers and that they, like, well, like the man that you saw in the video, you know, they really don't feel that there's a future for their children on their farms. And so that, that will be, I think the elections in November will be quite a defining moment uh, in, in this question. Thank you, and I, I admire your faith. Um, I'm glad, I'm really tickled that you aren't afraid to talk about God. Um, and then lastly, I remember you mentioned that you're not a farmer, and I'm just curious, how did you come to have such a passion for your industry or farming industry in the right. Netherlands? Well, so yeah, I'm indeed not, I'm not a farmer and my parents aren't either, but my great-grandfather was. Uh, so it's not too far back in our family history and that's the case for a lot of Dutch people. Um, the reason why I personally became so active in this fight was, the truthful answer, it kind of happened organically and by accident because I've been doing political commentary for, so, for about two years now and um, talking about government overreach has been one of my main topics, especially during COVID, for example. And then when the protests really started taking off in the summer of last year, I was actually here in America uh, and I figured this is something people need to know about. You know, this is something that I think Americans should know about because I, I, I already believed then that this would come to you eventually. And uh, I had the absolute opportunity uh, to go, for example, on Tucker Carlson, eventually film a documentary with him uh, and to, to spread this message to an international audience, which then in return has really strengthened our farmers because the response from uh, you guys has been so much more positive and so much more encouraging than anything that they heard from you know, our own media or uh, anybody else in Europe for that matter. So I want to thank you for that and I especially want to thank the organization also for actively making a statement in support of the Dutch farmer. That, that means a lot to me. So thank you, Bill, for that.
Oh, sir, I think I have an answer to your question. My, my colleague just looked it up. Are there two main crops that we export? Leek, yeah, and tulips. So tulips the first, leek the second. So. Kenny McCurlick, Montana. Um, you're, you know, very young. The, the youth of your nation, how many of them are sympathetic to, to the Dutch farmer? You know, the urban people, you say you're a very urban country. Yes. Are the youth, you know, corrupted by colleges and different things to, to, are there very many that have your on or off the record that follow your lead? Uh, no, sadly, no. So we, yes, our youth is incredibly indoctrinated. It's absolutely culturally similar to what's happening here, especially in the cities. Um, but what I see now is that there is a, the debate and in general, the divide between conservatives and liberals is becoming harsher and starker and more noticeable. So with the young generations, the conserv young conservatives that I know are conservative, you know? They're not, they're not conservative ink, they are on it. Uh, but they are a vast minority, uh, for sure. The, the majority of, of our young people, especially in universities, we were just talking about that. I, uh, I studied law, I even started a PhD, and I got kicked out of my PhD program without, within six months for being too controversial. So, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy about that now, honestly, but it's, uh, it's obviously a bad general sign for uh, our, the state of our academia and, and, and the schooling system. So, yeah, it's not, it's not great, sadly, but I have hope that it can change. I do have hope it can change. So uh, in Holland, what our idea is that a great deal of dairy, is it dairy that they're primarily after? And are there meat producers like we are here? We're, we're primarily for meat, not dairy. Or is it just dairy is both meat and, and Both dairy? sectors are very strong. So we are, in terms of beef, we are the largest exporter within the European Union of beef. Uh, and milk production is, is also, we don't really export milk that much, I don't think. I think the milk is what we drink ourselves and we drink a lot of milk. So Dutch people drink, we, it's, it's, you know, it's on the way out now because of the, uh, the indoctrination that milk is bad for you, but it is historically and still culturally something that, you know, typical for Dutch people to drink a couple of glasses of milk every day. Ron Volk, North Dakota. I'm just curious, so agriculture is your largest sector of your economy in the Netherlands? I believe so. If I'm not mistaken, yes, I think so. So what is your government's plan if they do unofficially, away with agriculture? It's, it's, sorry, unofficially it's drugs, of course. <laughs> they, would never, they would never admit to it, but it's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious as how they're selling, you know, how, the, how they're going to, revitalize the economy if they take away the the driving force which is agriculture because they're coming after the smallest farmers first of course who own a lot of land but not necessarily are the major uh, producers so what they're looking to do i think and that from what i've gathered is is similar to what is happening here and what you are struggling with struggling with is everything is monopolized right so that is what they're trying to do for us as well and our prime minister has actively said he wants to create what the World Economic Forum has called food hubs. So it's centralization of our food production. And so in the hands of just a few that the government then can buy cheaply and, and export to other countries, if countries still exist by that point, because you know we don't really have any borders anyway. Uh, but that, that is the goal. So I think that they actually think that they will gain they will gain money, we will become poorer. Large corporations that they can control. Yes. Thank you. Or that control them. We have time for one more question. This is gonna be the last one. All right. John Hansen from Wyoming. Do you notice, did your trouble start with the joining of the European Union? And another question is, do you trust your elections or do you, have problems with your elections like we did in our last one. 
Yes, okay. I'll start with, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, so our troubles did start with the European Union and our troubles will continue to exist unless we exit. So we, we don't have a Brexit, we want a Nexit. We want a Netherlands exit. Um, and, and I really truly believe that unless we do that, none of this, none of the, the general elections will truly legally matter. Because as I said, European law has supremacy over national law anyway. So then they'll be able to hide behind that. And we've seen that play between the Dutch government and the European Union before, where they try to hide behind each other. And then everybody can wash their hands in innocence, you know, and, and the general population is like, what do we do now? So to answer your question, absolutely, I'm 100% in favor of leaving the EU. Otherwise, all of this is pointless anyway. Um, am I worried about our elections? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I'm, I'm worried about it. I'm worried about um, th the way that they're, they're counted. I'm worried about the machines that might be used or not, if they want to introduce those. We've had talks about them so far that hasn't happened yet, so most of it will be done by hand. Um, but am I worried? Yes. And even if it is not through fraud, I'm afraid that, and I know that this is a fact, you know, our elections are now in November, but we have been without a government for a couple of months already. And in a normal functioning society, you would think, well, then the election should be held immediately after the summer, right? Because then everybody's back home. So September should be the month in which we have elections. And they said, no, actually, we're going to wait till the end of November. The only reason they're doing that is because they know that then they can have the media apparatus work in favor of them and that the whole public um, opinion will be shifted again, that they will be able to indoctrinate the masses some more and hopefully have a better election outcome for the establishment. So yes, I'm worried. Ava, they promised me one last, last question. Is that okay? That's okay. Okay, I'm Brett Kinsey. I'm the president of this outfit. God help them. <laughs> um, assembled before you are volunteer citizens. Everything here came out of their pocket. They sustain our organization mm. totally out of volunteer funds. And humble, humbly and persistently, we've sought accurate labeling of what we produce here in the United States so we can compete on the global stage. Humbly and persistently, we've sought competitive markets and uh, transparent markets with these global corporations that we sell our cattle to. And we keep grinding, and we're so close. I can feel it, and we're in a farm bill year, which is a big part of our cycle of politics. And I just feel that our, our, our agenda is so correct. Of course. And uh, the question, and, and that if we could just get a few more people like us to stand up, we would just begin a wave that could change this country. Call me a dreamer, okay? But uh, the question that I wanted to ask you about the Netherlands, what made those guys stand up? Do, do we have to really wait until we're looking down the barrel of the gun, so to speak? But what made them stand up? What gave them the spirit? Because I think that this whole country is just Oh, we're just so close, and we just need that little push. So can you give us any thoughts on that? Thank you. Of course, yes. Well, sadly, the, the reality for us is that they really felt that they had nothing left to lose. I would advise you not to get that far. So you're right to be a dreamer, and if there is any way in which I can help you spread your message, put you in touch with whomever, speak out. You know, I've been speaking for the Dutch farmers, and I would love to do the same for you. You know where to find me. <laughs> A big thank you to Ava for that incredible presentation and for making the trip to South Dakota back in August. We cannot let what has happened in the Netherlands, Ireland, etc. happen to America. We must fight for our industry and our country and we must do it now. A way you can help do that is join the organization that fights for you and brings topics like this to the table of conversation. Our CAP USA is set apart from all other national cattle associations because we rely solely on membership dues and donations to carry out our mission. 
and that is to ensure the continued profitability and independence of U.S. cattle and sheep producers. So if you would consider joining us, you can do that on our website. Thanks for tuning in today and be sure to follow along at RCAPUSA on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube to stay updated on all things going on in the U.S. cattle and sheep industries. To become a member or to learn more about RCAPUSA, visit r-calfusa.com.